for being my very first podcast guest, Leslie. I'm so excited. I am honored to have been invited. This is terrific. Yes. Well, awesome. Well, I first came up with this idea. My brother-in-law, Johnny, do you know Johnny? He's the oldest of, of Jeremy's family. Yes. It's okay. So he put together a video for John and Jane for their 50th wedding anniversary and he interviewed all the grandkids. And so I went down in the basement to help him ask them. My questions were always a tad bit more honorary than his, <laughs> but I had so much more fun than, I mean, I had more fun than I have in a long time on this kind of stuff. And I realized I miss it because my major was agricultural communications when I went through. Uh -huh. And so I haven't used it much, but you know, I've got to help with some TV shows and things over time, and I just kind of miss it. I used to, well, I started a magazine when I worked for the Sorghum Producers, and I miss talking to people for, for interviews, for stories that I had to write, or just those kind of things. So I think this will be a fun little addition, so. Definitely. I think so. So anyway, so you are an elementary teacher, and you moved this year or last year back to being a reading interventionist? This year, this school year is um, was my move back into reading instruction. Okay, gotcha. And you have like a master's degree in this, right? With the, the reading intervention. Yeah. Okay. Where did I you, do. Yeah, where'd you go to school at? I got my master's from Mercer University in Atlanta. Okay. Um, but I just want to put in a little bit of a plug for where I really learned how to teach reading. And yes. that was through the reading recovery program, uh, which I, uh, which was through Georgia State University. Oh, great. Okay, that's great. And I found out about you through Katie, our mutual friend at swimming lessons, because um, we were just talking about kids and reading and what we could do in the summer to help. And she had mentioned that you tutored kids um, on the side at, at the library on the weekends when you weren't teaching. So your school district and ours, we both have four-day school weeks. And um, so on Friday and Saturday, I don't know that you go in on Sunday, do you? But Friday, no, they're closed on Sunday. <laughs> they are. There you go. Or you would be there, I'm sure. But out of the goodness of your heart, you charge $5.00. For like an hour and you told me once you only charge five dollars because that just makes people show up right there's some kind of psychology yeah. there's actually research that shows that um, parents don't value tutoring or any kind of extra instruction that's free as much as they value something that they have to pay for even if it's not much. They take it more seriously and they value it more. And that's why I charge $5. That's awesome. Because it would probably just buy you lunch every day that you do it, really. <laughs> it's just so valuable and such a blessing what you do. And you take your time, you're teaching all week, you take your other time and go in there and teach some more. And it's just a huge blessing to our community. Well, thank and you. Especially love you. And um, it's just been a lot of fun for them. So. Well, I'm crazy about them, and I'll tell you, there is something so wonderful about working one-on-one -on -one with kids. Um, it's just there; nothing takes the place of that of that one-on-one -on -one time and getting to know them and getting to listen to them, and you know, just it's really special. 
Oh yeah, totally. They they eat it up to you, I think, to be with somebody other than their parent um, that's taking an interest in them. Because even at school, the teachers can't go one on one with a kid for an hour just about reading. Like it just yeah. doesn't happen. And so that's just a blessing. So um, how long have you tutored outside of school and done this kind of thing? Well, in Lamar, I started tutoring. Gosh, I've probably been tutoring in Lamar about five years. Um, but I started tutoring, you know, the very first time I started tutoring was back in the 90s when I lived in Austin, Texas. So I just have always tutored. It's something I've always done. Okay, that's wonderful. I didn't know you lived in Austin. Yeah, not, not for very long, only for a year. Okay. Um, back in, gosh, I want to say 93 to 94. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So you've kind of, kind of, yeah, I've been in Texas and Florida, which was not far from Atlanta, and back here. So we kind of have that in common, too, where we've done some circling around, so... Yeah, I'm a restless native. That's what my dad used to say. I'm a native of Colorado, but a restless native. Yes, absolutely. And when you talk about your dad, our families have a connection there, right? Oh, so yeah. Jeremy's family. So your dad was a vet, and my father-in-law first worked for him when he, they moved back here. And um, now my brother-in-law has that same building you guys sold to him, and he has his vet practice with my father-in-law. Yep. So that's kind of fun. So it really is. And you have a lot of cats to take care of. So you might. <laughs> Actually, we're, down to, we're down to two cats, but we still have five dogs. Okay. So you got a lot, you got a lot around there. So, <laughs> well, let's switch gears a little bit. So with coronavirus, um, it's been a very interesting time where parents have been asked to kind of homeschool their kids. And I don't even know if you call it homeschool. I read an article actually from some, a homeschool mom who said even for them, this is different because they would have groups outside of home where they could go and meet every week. So for everybody, it's different because we're kind of on lockdown and it's just not normal. So do you have any tips for parents? Well, first of all, let me tell you, I asked my kids, um, I did a little mock interview with them and I asked them to give me a grade on how I was teaching. And one gave me a C and one gave me an F. <laughs> I, know. Oh. I know it's horrible yeah I know and then on our bike ride the other night Mark said you know mom you just you didn't learn how to teach that's not not your thing like you, you didn't go to school for teaching so I don't blame you <laughs> <laughs> oh I don't know I think it's that parent relationship where they will say things and whine and do things to their mom or dad that they wouldn't do to their teacher at school and there so is no doubt about that and the peer pressure is gone because I think that a lot of it, they sit down and do their work because everybody else is doing their work. So that's my challenge right now. So what are your tips for us parents who are kind of going through this? My tip, my number one tip would be relax. Okay. Just relax and enjoy and look for ways to make it fun and look for ways to be in motion, moving, learning, um, you know, cook, sew, um, 
plant a garden, do things. That's all learning. There's so many different kinds of learning. And in the classroom, we are completely limited by our four walls and our desks. And you as parents, you're not limited by that. So take advantage. Um, you know, in a, in a small classroom in Lamar, there are 17 children. So if you've got even four kids or five kids, you are so lucky to only have four or five kids. Have fun. Just have fun. Absolutely. And I just kind of vacillate between too much fun and no work <laughs> and then all work. Well, I said, yeah, you've got to get this done. Let's go for it. But we have done some of those things you talked about, especially during spring break. But we started a garden and Mark has started growing his seeds inside to transplant out after, you know, our freeze, uh, our freeze, our latest freeze date comes and goes. So he said, yeah. Fun. So he started his pumpkins and his tomatoes, and that's great. And, you know, built forts, and he's been building fountains outside. And then Bryn just loves to run and play in the water in the stock tank. That's our, that's our <laughs> man's swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they have a lot of fun. So I think you're absolutely right. If we don't take ourselves so seriously, we'll, we'll fit some schoolwork in there. But the rest of this is also learning. And with reading... I started, um, I'm not as good now, but every morning we would sit down and read for 30 minutes and everybody would grab their own book. But Mark through since, since spring break, he's finished the very first Harry Potter book, which is a big wow. is nine. And he never really liked to read until you came along. And it's just amazing to me. So he's on the second book now and it's just, oh. My heart. Can I just say, can I just interrupt and say that makes my heart so happy. That just thrills me that he is now, he's a reader. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's finding, I think what helps is you know what books that these kids like because you've had to, you know, have own books that are thrilling enough for kids to read and want to read, to take their AR tests and all of those things. And uh, that's the key. I, you know, I signed, I signed up Mark when he was little for a, I think it was through Regis University. They have a, re, a summer reading program. Mm -hmm. To me, the most valuable thing of that whole program, they, they had a list of books, um, recommended books for different age groups. And then they actually, as part of that program, would send, you know, five books that summer. And it was great because they could kind of make some recommendations of these are our favorites and what we found kids love. And I know that you have done the same thing for us. So I know Mark loved, what was the one set that he loved so much with the neighbor guy? The old oh, Mr. Mr. Putter. And yes. Mr. Yes. <laughs> so that's a great series. He loves really where it started for him. Yes. Uh, because he, was, you know, he wanted to know what was going to happen next with Mr. Putter and Tabby and the next door neighbor. And it was like, well, aren't we lucky that there are about 25 books in this series? Let's find out what happens next. And he just ate those up. And that really was the beginning for him. Oh, absolutely. And then 
Um, I think it's Ben Hackey who wrote Zeta the Space Girl. And then what are the other ones that he's written? He loves them. They're kind of like comic books. Um, right. They're called graphic novels. Graphic novels. So he, in one weekend, read three or four of those. I couldn't believe it. That was his, like, activity of choice. And this is somebody who never would have just sat down to read. Like, you know, <laughs> Oh, and remember Bunjitsu Bunny? Yes, Bunjitsu oh, Bunny. It was about Bunjitsu Bunny. Yeah, exactly. So those are fun. So they're not necessarily something that I would know about. And so you introduced us to that. And so I think it's great. So I guess since we're talking about that, what are some other great book series? Oh, my gosh. There are so many, um, you know, it, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Um, are you, do you have a kid that's interested in graphic novels? Um, you've mentioned uh, Zeta the Space Girl, uh, the series or the books that kind of uh, move into Zeta the Space Girl are, uh, start with Mighty Jack. Yes. Um, Ivy Jack and the Goblin King. Um, let's see, the Amulet series. Okay. I, there are eight books in the Amulet series. And then there is, oh, there's Cleopatra in space. Um, that's really, really popular. Uh, I would say that Dogman, the there are probably nine or 10 books in the Dogman series. Um, and, and the list just goes on and on when it comes to graphic novels. Uh, then there are also what are called illustrated chapter books. Um, there is a whole imprint from the Scholastic uh, publishing house called Branches. And those branches books are really wonderful illustrated chapter books. The thing about illustrated chapter books and graphic novels is if you've got a reluctant reader, um, they are less formidable because when they look at that first page, there's more white space there are pictures there that really support the meaning of the story. Um, there are just so many things about those books that are really, really supportive for kids that are reluctant readers. Um, so in the Branches novels, there are the Owl Diaries, there are the Unicorn Diaries, there are the Notebooks of Doom. Um, there are, they tend to be, uh, divided into series that girls would like and boys would like. Um, but I'll tell you what, the kids are, they just read, they read them all. Um, and, and the, another thing about these books that is so supportive for reluctant readers is that they are series. Um, so once they've made it through that first book, when they go to book number two, they're familiar with the characters. And that familiarity makes the reading easier and more pleasurable. And if they're not having fun reading, they're not going to want to read. The key is it's got to be fun or they're not going to want to read. 
Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And it's funny you mentioned those because I just got the Al Diaries for Bren. I put oh, in- yeah, she loves it. And then um, she actually just started to read the first chapter of Zeta the Space Girl this morning, which was fun. Oh she- my gosh. Chapter. So I'm like, yes, awesome. But yes, it's just getting kids, have, having it match up to their reading level and their interests and having some creative authors that can go outside the lines and, and make it all work. And so that's really fun. Definitely. So when it comes to reading, what are the major, you know, developmental stages and how can parents help kids, you know, their kids keep reaching those new milestones? What's the first thing? Like, I mean, I've even heard when I was pregnant with my kids to read to your kids when they're in the womb. Absolutely. It can do all of that. So I'm sure that's where it starts, right? It really is. Um, It is never too early to start reading to a child. Um, You know, once they're born, reading to them as they get older and they begin to actually look at the pictures, they are not just enjoying the sound of the parent's voice and enjoying looking at their pictures, they're taking in an understanding of how books work. They are, by seeing it over and over again, they're understanding or learning what the cover of the book is. And that's where books start. And then we turn to we turn the pages to the left in our country you know and that's that familiarity with print and how print works and as they're read to more and more then then begin to make that uh connection with oh this story that i'm hearing is related to these little black marks on the page um and then you know you i think any parent that has read a favorite book to a child has gone through the stage where the child memorizes the book, you know, and they'll brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? And they can, they can actually read it to you. And if you try and change it up a little bit, they'll, no, that's not how it goes. Well, they are, they're taking in that understanding of their certain books or there are certain words on each page, and then you turn that page. That just, that they're taking in knowledge of print. Um, and that is the, the, really the only way that that happens is by kids being read to. If they come to school and they have not been read to, all of that knowledge is you know, it's going to be really, really hard for them to catch back up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I think, I don't remember if you taught us or some other teachers to, when kids are younger, you know, to follow along with a bookmark that just, you know, line by line, you cover up the next line so you can follow along with your hand. But then at some point you stop that and you just have them read kind of abstractly. And right. so all of those little tricks that that all of you teachers do were just amazing to me. Like, well, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Yeah. In kindergarten or whenever they're really first beginning to read, you know, some kids, some kids read uh, word by word or they match word by word 
intuitively, but if a child needs uh, guidance in that, that's when they use their finger so that the teacher or the parent can make sure that they are reading you know, one, the finger is under the word that they are being read. And all that finger is for is so that you know where their eyes are. That's mm -hmm. the only reason the finger is there. Mm -hmm. And then once they are reading, or we call it matching, you know, they're saying what the words that are actually on the page and not adding two or three words because it makes the, the sentence more interesting. Once they are consistently matching one-to-one -one when they're reading, you can get that finger out of there. It's not needed anymore. Okay. And then I also know that we, we learned on, um, you figured out somehow with my kids, when when they read and they were saying a word the wrong way, um, you had them write that letter. You had us write it like 50 times, one after another, every day to get like B's and D's going the right direction. What's the mm -hmm. there between language and reading, writing? You know, the BD, I'm going to focus in on the BD confusion um, specifically. It's so common. Um, it's not, the vast majority of the time, it's not an indication of any kind of a learning disability or dyslexia. It's, it's just a normal thing that a lot of kids go through. So first of all, to any parents that are listening, if your kid's got a BD confusion, you know, take a breath. It really is going to be okay. Um, the second thing I want to say is almost always that BD confusion is happening because they have not got they didn't learn the correct formation of the letters. They, and, and that's just because there are 20 kids in a classroom when kids are learning how to write their letters. And you just can't always be right there when a kid is learning how to write a D to say, no, this is how we start the D. It starts like a C. And then you go around, up, and down, around, up, and down. Um, and so if you start a C and a D, or a D and a B both from the top down, then you're just kind of shooting 50-50. But if you always start that D as if you were writing the letter C, you'll write it correctly every single time. That's why I had your kids practice until they were blue in the face and probably irritated with me. Um, that, so that we could move that, the correct formation of the letter D in the muscle memory. And then we moved from writing that letter individually into writing words that started with the letter D. We wrote dad and dog and do and did. And I was watching and if they started that word with their pencil up at the top, like they were gonna come straight down, I'd say up, start again and I'd make them you know, I'd make them do it over again. And then after they were writing those words with it, with no hesitation, they didn't have to think about where that D started. Then we started writing words 
where the D came at the end of the word, like and, sand, whatever, so that they were writing A-N, and then I was watching, how's that D gonna start? And if they, when they would get to that last letter and then automatically write it correctly, then I knew we were pretty much home free. But you don't wanna do the D and the B at the same time. That will just confuse kids. Pick one, stick with it until they've got it, and then move on to the next one. And it'll usually take care of itself. Okay, that's wonderful. I know um, my aunt is a retired kindergarten teacher, and so she was working with the kids one time, and she had one of those sayings like you did, where you start with the C and go up and down. And she would say, um, what was it, helicopter up and parachute down? <laughs> <laughs> to go oh, wow. on and so that's kind of fun so you guys just I mean I, it's amazing all these things that you can say and to help kids um so we, you talked a little bit about dyslexia and I asked my Facebook friends you know if they would have any questions for you and someone asked uh, Karen ask if at what age can you diagnose dyslexia oh my I'm afraid I can't answer that question. Um, I really, I don't know. I do not know. I'm not trained, or I have not the, had the specific training to work with kids um, who are dyslexic. And I also don't know anything about testing kids with dyslexia. So I'm sorry. I wish I That's could okay. answer. That's okay. Um, so let's see here. We kind of talked about the focus between reading and writing on letters. What about stories and things? You know, I've heard readers are writers and writers are readers. And um, how do those go together? So when a kid can read a story, they can write a story. And I know you've worked with Mark a little bit lately about um, his stories and how to have a cliffhanger and all these different parts of a story. And that's really fun. So how do you see that working together for kids? Oh, they are intimately connected. Um, you know, first kids listen, and then they speak, and then they read, and then they write in that order. Um, and writing is harder than, than reading, but it is also... Uh, Oh gosh, it's just so fun for kids to be able to write about what they've read or or what they're thinking, unless they get all hung up about spelling. If they're if they get all hung up about spelling, then the fun pretty much flies out the window. Um, but you know, it's and that would be another thing that I would say to parents who are uh, who are teaching at home right now is find fun ways to write. Um, the, uh, writing and reading go hand in hand. And just like reading needs to be fun, the more fun you can make writing, the better that will be. Letters to uh, relatives, shopping lists, uh, stories, anything, anything. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, sometimes we, uh, the kids also have a great aunt who sends them postcards from everywhere she goes. And that's so fun for them to get those postcards. And so we should, but to send back, send back a note that says, thanks. I loved your card from wherever it was. And so I think that's really special to get those and they can read them. So that's good. Um, let's see. Um, what, 
what are some other common reading challenges and what can parents and teachers do to help? Like the most common things, uh, maybe at school with your reading interventionist kids, what are some things that you can do that make the biggest impact? I would say the most common challenge is that kids just simply don't want to read. Um, I've referred to them as in our conversation today as reluctant readers. Um, and I would say my number one tip to parents is uh, make sure that the reading is easy. The worst thing that you can do um, really to any child, but especially to a kid who's already reluctant to read, is to insist that they read a book that is hard or um, just on the edge of too hard. It would be so much better for that child to read a book that's easy than for them to read a book that's too hard. It's, it steals the joy out of the reading. And if they're not having fun, they're not going to want to do it. I mean, who wants to do things that aren't fun? Um, so keep it simple. Keep it fun. Let it be the child's choice and let them change their mind. Um, you know, in my in my classroom, when I was a classroom teacher, I had a big classroom library. And one of the rules that I taught my kids uh, was that if you are not enjoying the book, you get to put it back. It's You've got to be enjoying yourself. And so that would be my number one uh, tip to parents, make sure they're enjoying themselves. And number two, make sure that it's easy enough that they can enjoy it. Okay, that's great. So that kind of brings me to a little bit of the AR test, so advanced reading tests. Um, what do you think are the greatest benefit of those tests, but then also what's a challenge with those? And as parents, do we only look at the levels that are they're supposed to read? <laughs> you know, what... What about that? I know it's a way that we can judge um, progress and that kind of thing, but mm -hmm. about your perspective. I think there needs to be a balance. Um, my feeling about Accelerated Reader has been that it's a great way to motivate kids to read. Um, if they're motivated by, you know, points and prizes that can be earned, then it can be a great motivation. Um, if a kid is already reluctant to read, and this just feels like more pressure, then is it really a good, good idea? I'm not sure then. Um, I also and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, you know, reading levels, some schools, <clears throat> excuse me, refer to them as lexile levels, um, are not the be all end all. They're a guide. They're just a guide. Um, but there's nothing magical about those numbers. Um, and if a kid wants to read a book 
that is below their AR level or below their Lexile level, and they're excited about it, as a teacher, my response was always go for it. If they're interested in reading a book that was above their Lexile level or AR level, my response was always give it a try and see if you like it. And mm -hmm. then let the kid be the judge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They're the one reading the book. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well, when we wrap up reading here, is there anything else you'd like to mention to parents or teachers? Oh, I would say don't worry too much about keeping up. Uh, teachers are really good at helping kids catch up. And, you know, when we do finally go back to school, we will help any kids that are behind, we will help them catch up. Um, just love your kids during this time. Have fun with them. Make sure they feel safe. Um, and, and just take care of those emotional needs as parents. Absolutely. Because the kids miss their classmates and they miss that whole experience. And, uh, it's, it's a challenge to go totally online. And we have some Zoom calls set up where they can talk to a few of their friends. And so they enjoy that. the same thing, you know, is having a play date or going to recess at school or doing. No, it's not. It's, it's just way different. And so it's, it is a challenge. So that's absolutely right. Health is number one and emotional stability. But, um, so let's kind of talk about, um, you, your bullying program at your school, you all got a grant um, from the state of Colorado, I believe, um, to have this bullying program. And you actually got to be on national news. <laughs> classroom. That's so exciting. And so um, that's kind of, so you're kind of a local celebrity because of that. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about that program and, and what you've learned from that program that you didn't know before. I know you have some takeaways that you all are practicing now because of that. Absolutely. Um, well, our program, I would say one of the things that I learned was that kids really need to practice what to do if they see a bullying situation happening. I was not aware until I went through the training that there's this big group of kids that we refer to as bystanders that when they see bullying really want to do something to help. And the only reason they don't do anything is because they don't know what to do. Um, and the power in the program that we are using is that we have a weekly class meeting. Every single classroom teacher has a weekly class meeting. And one of the th first things we do in that class meeting is we spend many weeks teaching the kids exactly what to do and what they can say if they see a bullying situation. So we empower those bystanders to step up and make a difference. 
And you can kind of find the blind spots a little bit. I think you told me once that you didn't, no one at the school realized that a lot of bullying took place at lunch. Was that right? Was that one of the places? It was one of the places. Um, we do a, um, a survey, an online anonymous survey every year where the kids answer questions about their own personal experiences with bullying at our school. And we found out so much good information about where bullying was happening that we didn't know as, as educators, we did not realize. Um, and based on the information uh, that the kids gave us, you know, like you said, that there was bullying happening in the lunchroom, we increased the adult supervision in the lunchroom during lunches. Um, and there were what we call hot spots on the playground where there was some bullying happening. So we increased adult supervision on the playground and we also um, changed the way we supervise. We tended in the past to just kind of stand in one spot and now the teachers circulate. And if we see a group of kids gathering and you kind of get that vibe of maybe, huh, I wonder what's going on. We just walk right over and say, hey guys, how are you doing today? And we're just, we are there. We as teachers, we are a presence in every one of those spots that the kids let us know that there were problems. Okay. That's great. And I know you've also had some training um, with kids and, and shame and some of those issues, um, which I'm sure are connected to bullying as well. So what is it, what's the takeaway there for us? Would you repeat that? I was, you, you cut out for just a second. So we, um, I know you've done a lot of training in regard to, to tra trauma for kids and shame. Gotcha. And that is related to bullying as well. And so what can we do as parents, as teachers, administrators, to make sure that we are not shaming kids in the classroom, on the playground, in the lunchroom? Mm. What do we yeah. do? You know, I think the language that I use is the most powerful thing uh, when it comes to being supportive rather than shaming. Um, I think in the classroom, any time I speak to a child and I say, you need to, or you are, there is a tendency for it to come across as shaming or blaming. But if I can change my language to I need or um, I, I am noticing, um, then it totally changes the energy of, the, of what I'm saying. Um, one of the things that I did in the classroom, instead of saying, you all need to be quiet, I would say, would you guys do me a favor? 
would you, could everybody just kind of lower their voices right now? And it just totally changes everything. It's like, oh, we're doing Miss, Mrs. Treat a favor. You know, she needs our help. And they, and they love that. So how can I communicate to students in such a way that they feel that they are needed, that they are valued, um, they matter to me, they matter in the class, um, I care about them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we as teachers, we're very, very aware of the moods of our kids when they walk in the door. You can tell when a kid's having a bad day, just, you know, when they walk in the door. Um, and to just like make a mental note, ah, it looks like this child is maybe tired, maybe something rough happened at home. Um, and just do what I call a drop in, you know, walk over to their desk and just lean over and kind of say softly in their ear, hey, is everything okay today? Just let them know, I see you you matter. Um, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. And then throughout the day, just be gentle, just be extra gentle, I think. Mm, that's great. I'm not really known to be gentle with my kids. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I was. I wish I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you too, you've taught in urban school districts and you've taught in rural school districts. So, so what are some differences, you know, that um, us out away from cities um, can know about the cities um, so we can be a little bit more empathetic and vice versa? Mm -hmm. Well, that is so interesting. I hadn't, um, the uh, the urbans the urban district that I taught in was one of the largest districts in Georgia, and uh, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is that they had a lot more money. Um, there were a lot more resources than than we have in our rural district. Um, there were also I taught kids from Vietnam. Laos, Thailand, um, Egypt, Somalia. I mean, I taught kids from all over the world. Uh, so, so that was different. But I also had a huge Spanish-speaking um, population. They just didn't necessarily come from Mexico. A lot of them came from South America and Central America. But we still had a big... Uh, population of English language learners. Um, I would say the kids are more the same than they are different. Um, I would say that the parents were different because the parents who were just arriving from other countries held the teachers in the highest esteem. I have never been treated with almost, I mean, it was almost embarrassing sometimes how I, 
the parents just felt like whatever I said was gospel. <laughs> and I had never experienced that in my life. Um, and just such respect, such respect. Um, and that was, that was really, that was a great pleasure to teach. Um, but kids are just kids, you know, they may just be learning the language, uh, but they're, they're human. Um, the, the newcomers to the United States, uh, they really wanted to please more than the Native Americans <laughs> or the kids who were born in Us. the United States. They were definitely more, uh, more worried about pleasing their teacher and about having the respect of their teacher. That was kind of a funny thing to discover. Um, but other than the money and the resources, kids are really just kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is true. Well, to wrap this up, I've got just some final fun questions for you. Okay. And, well, you know, whenever we come to the library and meet you, you and I are always talking about books and movies. And of course, you've always read the book before you watch the movie. And I just dive right into movies usually, you know. And so um, it's kind of fun <laughs> to hear you talk about all the books that you've read before things. So, uh, so do you prefer paper books, Kindle books, or audio books? Oh, wow. Well, I use all three. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting. Before uh, COVID-19, I was 100% paper book. And I have found that I've been having trouble focusing on a paper book. And I recently downloaded the Libby app um, so that I could get library books on my iPad. And that has made all the difference in my reading. Um, so, so I'm currently reading a book on, um, on my iPad. Um, and I've always loved audible books, especially if the book is set in a foreign country like um, Ireland, or I just recently listened to Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And that is set in Glasgow. And listening to those wonderful accents just brought that book to life for me. So I love all three. That's wonderful. Good. Uh, what's your favorite book? Oh, that's not fair. I can't <laughs> I just, one. just one, just one. Can I have five? Okay, you can do top five, that's fine. All right, I'll, let me do top five. Um, I would say The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. And I would say A Man Called o Uva. It looks like Ove, but it's pronounced Uva by Frederick Bachman. And uh, I would also say Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. And I would say, I can, I can probably stop there. Okay, top three. That'll those, work. Those are good. Okay, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who is your, who's your favorite author? Which I think probably came out right there in that list. You know, uh, I would actually say Joe Rowling, uh, oh. the author of the Harry Potter books. Yeah. And 
Um, I'm currently rereading one of her detective novels that she writes under the name of Robert Galbraith, uh, the Cormoran Strike novels. Um, so I would have to say Joe Rowling. She's fun. I follow her on Twitter and I got to see her home library the other day. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. And she baked a cake the other day. And, she <laughs> and then everybody, you know, on the thread, we're showing all their Harry Potter birthday cakes. Hers was just a really plain little chocolate cake, you know, but everybody else just kind of went crazy and put all their. I'll bet. I'll bet. So it's kind of fun. Um, and what's your favorite kids book? Oh, wow. For me personally, from my own childhood, I'm going to pick Mandy by Julie Andrews Edwards. My grandma gave me that book when I was about seven or eight years old for my birthday. And I read that book over and over and over again. Oh, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, I still own that. I still have that book. That's so fun. So Marie Kondo says, you know, not to have more than what, 20 books or something? Huh. How, how many do you have in your house, you think? Well, at school, I have over a thousand wow. for kids. And at home, I would say I probably have 300. Wow. Yeah, that's good. And you've probably just rotated them in and out too. You haven't kept all of them. <laughs> uh, you know, and I just, I've got three full bookshelves of books at home and I just got permission to get another bookshelf. So well, that's good. So you start filling is. it up. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, um, we always talk about what you're watching on TV too. What are you watching right now on TV? I am currently watching uh, Killing Eve. Are you familiar with Killing Eve? I don't think well, so. Well, this, this is season three, and uh, it's Sandra O oh and Jody uh, Comer, I think is her last name. And it is pretty dark and twisted and um i am loving every minute of it <laughs> okay, that's good and you know another thing we talk about is what we're eating lately you try to go low carb and i'm usually low carb you know but i lost or i gained nine pounds in the last month and so i got oh. seven pounds off here lately because i started riding congratulations i know it's a big deal but how are you doing on that front and this other book that I like, no, um, not well. <laughs> not well. <laughs> I know, it's just a, it's a tricky time because we're in our homes all the time and I go to the refrigerator and I want to eat. And so, well, what's your favorite thing you're eating in the last? Right week? now, I am eating this dish that I've concocted that I call cheesy rice. Okay. It's, it's white rice. And then I add sour cream okay. and shredded sharp cheddar cheese and heat it up in the microwave until the cheese melts. Yes. The ultimate comfort food. Oh, isn't that awesome? I know I was, I was making this chicken carbon. Well, I was just on a carbonara. It was a sun-dried tomato with spinach, like a creamy sauce. And oh, it Yum. 
And then of course the pasta. <laughs> and so every night I had my little cast iron skillet ready to go. And <laughs> what are we having? Same thing we're always having. <laughs> so I've had to cut that out, but oh yes, that's the, that's the go-to. And I never ordered Schwann's before in my adult life. When I was a kid, my mom would get Schwann's all the time. Oh, my mom and dad always ordered Schwann's. Oh, absolutely. And so I ordered all this stuff I never would have normally gotten. And so I've got a gallon of ice cream out there and a couple pies. And we've got <laughs> all the fudge bars and ice cream sandwiches. And so I just have to stop. Like, I just have to stop. So I did. So that I think and I help. I felt a lot better, but um, yeah, you know, as far as feeling even keeled and all of that, we need all the help we can right now. And so I think for Absolutely. me, Absolutely. I just recently started walking again and oh, it has made all the difference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Just get you kind of out of yourself a little bit. So yeah, well, I think that wraps this up. Thank you so much for being my first guest. I had no idea I was your first guest. I'm yes. so I'm just beyond honored that you thought of me for your first guest. Thank you, Christy. Well, thank you for being game. I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm always game. You're always game. But I appreciate <laughs> what you do for our family, for our community. Mm. You're wonderful. I appreciate you. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast today. She had a lot of fun. If you want to read some of the crazy stuff my mom writes about our life on the farm, go to her blog at farmers.com. Have a great day!